Good day, everyone. Welcome to our new series. This is series three, and today we're beginning a new topic. It's entitled Knowing God. It's good to have you all listen, enjoy, ask any questions that you might have. Feel free to text me, and I'd be glad to respond to any questions, anything that you do not understand on the message. Now, the topic, as I said before, is Knowing God. Approximately 2,000 years ago, there were a group of people who were waiting for the first coming of the Messiah. They had the writings of the inspired prophets of God, prophets who were their own biological ancestors. They were very meticulous about their forms of worship, and they were very zealous about their religion, and they observed a very detailed system of rules and ceremonies. They claimed to be the worshippers of the true God, and they knew much about him, because after all, they had in their possession all that the prophets had written about him. And these writings contained more than 300 prophecies of the coming Messiah, all of which he fulfilled when he actually came as a confirmation that he was whom the prophets wrote about. And for many generations, they waited for his coming with eager anticipation. But when the Messiah finally showed up, they called him an imposter and they rejected him and condemned and crucified him as a criminal. Think about this. In 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16, the scripture tells us that without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, and received up into glory. Now, this scripture, 1 Timothy 3.16, is a very concise summary of the earthly ministry of Christ, and finally his ascension to heaven after his work was complete. It says God was manifested in human flesh. And yet, those who claimed to be the worshippers of God rejected and killed him in a most brutal and shameful way. How could this be? They knew a lot about God, but they did not know God. It is possible to know a lot about God and not know him. There are people who follow famous people, whether heads of government or sports celebrities, musical artists or... Hollywood actors and actresses, and they read upon everything they can get about them. They know all the songs they sing, how many records they sold for each album they did. They watched every movie they starred in, or if it is a famous sports celebrity, they watch every game they play, even to re-watch the videos sometimes, and they read everything published about them. They can tell you all their scores, all their statistics, their ranking, and they know many details of their life. In short, they know a lot about them. And yet, they don't really know them. They have never met them personally, or talked with them, or spent much quality time with them. The same thing happens in religion today. You will find a lot of people who know a lot about God, and yet they really don't know Him. 
They've never really had a deep personal encounter with him. It is people like these whom the Bible says will do the same things that the Jews did to the Messiah 2,000 years ago. Once again, zealous modern-day religionists will reject Christ, but this time they will do so in the persecution of his servants. Yet it will be Christ they're rejecting. This is based on the biblical truth that whatsoever is done to God's people is done to him. You see, before the conversion of the Apostle Paul, he was persecuting true believers. And when he met Jesus on the road to Damascus, the words of Jesus to him were, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Acts chapter 9 and verse 4. In fact, Jesus himself says elsewhere, Inasmuch as you have done it unto one of the least of these, my brethren, you have done it unto me. Matthew 25 and verse 40. And this reveals his close identification with those who are truly faithful to him. He says, you touch them, you touch me. You persecute them, you persecute me. So yes, once again, in these last days, Christ will be persecuted, but through the persecution of his true and faithful people. And just as before, this will be carried out by a world of very religious people who put on a pretense of being very zealous for the honor of God, but yet know him not. And to these religious ones, the Bible also records what the words of Jesus will be to them when he shows up the second time. Matthew 25 verse 41, Then shall he say also unto them on the left hand, Depart from me, you cursed into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. So clearly then, being passionately religious does not necessarily mean that one is a child of God or even knows him. The same mistake of the Jews 2,000 years ago is made by others over and over again through history. And the final crisis of Earth's history on a worldwide scale will be brought about by such a group of people again. They will have a religious observance that they are so passionate about that they will kill others to preserve it. Because they will then have the political power to do so. To make a law enforcing their religious observance at the penalty of death upon all who refuse to comply because they choose to remain obedient to God. All of this, dear friends, is right there in the book of Revelation chapter 13. As I've often said in the past, history will be repeated. According to the wise man Solomon, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, in Ecclesiastes chapter 1 and verse 9, The thing that has been is that which shall be, and that which is done is that which shall be done, and there is no new thing under the sun. History will be repeated, in other words. So then, as stated in previous studies, everything boils down to only two sides. And thus, in this respect, everyone will eventually find themselves either on the side of the persecuted, who remain loyal and faithful to God, and thus are preparing for his everlasting kingdom of happiness and glory, or on the side of the persecutors, who are preparing to be banished into everlasting fire with the devil and his angels, as stated in the words of Jesus quoted earlier. In Matthew chapter 5 and verse 10, Jesus said, 
Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 12, we read, Yea, and all who will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. So ultimately, what will make the difference between the godly and the ungodly is whether or not we know God, not just merely know about Him. Knowing God in the very deep and intimate sense that I'm speaking of here has to do with what do you truly believe at the very core of your being concerning His character, how He relates to us, what He is like, His ways, how He deals with our failings and our failures, how He deals with even the sinner. What picture of God do you have in your head? And not a picture as in the sense of a photograph, but as in the sense of his character. What is he like? Does it inspire a sense of fear and intimidation and possibly anxiety and dread? Or does it inspire a sense of peace and joy and awe and makes you just want to get closer and closer to him? What is your picture of God? When you mess up, Do you feel like you can't go to him just then because you imagine that he is probably looking down on you with an angry scowl on his face and so you're afraid to approach him, maybe even afraid to pray to him because you think he doesn't want to hear anything from you at this time? So you stay away and try to do enough good behavior for a while until you feel like you can approach him again as if your good behavior is what earns his favor? Is that it? Or, on the other hand, when you mess up, does it hurt you just to know that you have hurt him? Do you feel broken in deep repentance because you hate the thought of bringing pain to the heart of the one you love? Do you just want to run back into his arms and make things right again? Or do you think he's mad at you so you want to stay away from him? Understand, dear friends, that all of this is dependent on what thoughts you have in your mind concerning the kind of person God is. Understand, my dear friends, that the picture of God which you have in your head is what shapes your whole life. And again, let me emphasize, by picture, I don't mean what he looks like in person as in a photograph. I mean what he is like, his ways, his character, how he treats us, how he relates to us, even when we make a mess of our life. The true knowledge of the character of God is the most important aspect of anything we can possibly believe. Because this is what shapes your whole life. The way you imagine that God treats others is the way you will treat others when you're under pressure. The way you believe that God deals with his enemies is the way you yourself will deal with your enemies when you find yourself in a crisis. If you believe that God loses his calm and gets angry and violently destroys those who don't see eye to eye with him, you will act out the same behavior with those who disagree with you. It is possible, dear friends, to look all good and decent and nice. But if our picture of God is wrong, when we find ourselves in a terrible crisis, the pressure can build to a point where it pushes our button, which triggers us to do things that we did not even suspect that we could do. 
revealing things that were hidden deep in our own heart. And it all points right back to our picture of God. The prophet Jeremiah, with deep insight, says in Jeremiah chapter 17 and verse 9, he says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? He says, we don't even know what's within inside of us. We don't even know ourselves until tested to the core. We live in a religious climate in the world which involves a lot of acting, a lot of pretense, just like the Pharisees of old. The word which Jesus used to describe them at the time was hypocrites, meaning play actors, pretenders. That's really what the word meant that he used, which is translated in our English Bible today as hypocrites. It means actors, pretenders, looking good on the outside, but corrupt on the inside. On another occasion, he compared the religious leaders to whitewashed tombs, looking nice and clean and beautiful on the exterior, but inside having rotting corpses and dead men's bones. Matthew 23 verse 27. And that is why, in the end times, God has to permit the world to deteriorate into a major crisis. He's going to have to stop holding back the winds of strife and allow things to go into a major crisis for the purpose of clearly revealing what is in the heart of all. And this will create a polarization, a separation of two distinct sides clearly distinguishing those who are truly his and those who are not. It takes a crisis to do this, a severe global crisis. And once again, I must say, the core of what a person will do under severe testing and pressure depends upon their deeply held beliefs concerning how God himself behaves. No wonder one highly respected writer and philosopher, William James, he wrote in one of his books, If your picture of God is wrong, the more powerful you get, the more dangerous you become to yourself and to others. End of quote. Understand, dear friends, that the terrible tortures which have been committed in the name of religion all down through history proves this to be true. In the end, men can only act out in life how they see God behaving in their own mind their picture of God. Hence the scriptures say, keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. And the word keep there means to guard. Put a double guard over your heart or your mind. Keep it diligently, for out of it are the issues of life. Proverbs chapter 4 and verse 23. In other words, whatsoever is within will come to the surface and be acted out when you're severely tested in a crisis. Just a little example, and this is not even a major crisis yet compared to what else will be. When the COVID crisis was at its peak, and it was being reported that many thousands of people were dying and the media being used as a tool to invoke fear in the minds of the populations, we have seen families who seemed quite together suddenly start treating other family members as enemies. Some who believed in getting vaccinated, by listening to the fear-mongering of the controlled media, suddenly felt their life was in danger, and they didn't want their unvaccinated family members living in the same household with them. Some were put out, had to be living with friends or some others take them in. 
some were reported as a threat to the safety of others. People reported their experiences of very good friends who told them they can't come to their house to visit anymore if they were not vaccinated. Some families were divided. People turned against each other. Some long-time friendships were shattered, never to be repaired again. And in a short while, if you were to sneeze in public, even if you inhaled some dust or some pepper or whatever, people would look at you as if it was a crime to sneeze. I have even heard of one case in which a person was beaten to death for sneezing. It was as if the spirit of sudden fear brought a demonic presence which clouded the minds of many people, blocking out their ability to reason and bringing them under a kind of mass psychosis. It's like common sense had become extinct. Fear dominated the environment. People became anxious, tense, and for many, compassion seemed to have dried up. Increase the pressure and it would be seen how easily things could slide into what is called a dog-eat-dog world. And yet there were some who did not allow themselves to get caught up in the cycle of fear. Some who even took in the sick and helped them back to health when their own family were afraid to come near them. Human nature can become very cold when the love of God is not anchored in the soul by the truth of what God is like in character. And there are much bigger crises to come. What will happen then? The Bible tells us what it will be like. Matthew 24.10, Jesus says, And then shall many be offended, and shall betray one another, and shall hate one another. These are people who were close now selling each other out to save themselves. And Jesus says this will be to come. Matthew 10 verse 36 says, And a man's foes shall be those of his own household. Just to give us a glimpse into the state of things to come. And the words of Jesus are true, dear friends. They must happen. But all of this is just a little example to show how quickly the whole world can be plunged into a crisis, which causes people to show who they really are, deep down on the inside, where the prophet says the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked, so much so that we don't even know it. What I have been saying, dear listeners, is based on a natural and a spiritual law, a law of life, a law of the mind, the power of belief. What we believe can transform the lowest life and elevate a person for good, or destroy the best life and bring a person to nothingness, based on what they believe. And since God is the highest and most powerful being that anyone can conceive of, what you believe concerning God becomes the most empowering belief we can have, whether for good or for evil, depending on whether we believe the truth concerning God or a lie concerning God. Hence, as quoted earlier from the philosopher William James, if your picture of God is wrong, the more powerful you get, the more dangerous you will become to yourself and to others. The Bible says, A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth that which is good, and an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth that which is evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. 
Luke chapter 6, verse 45. So what is in the heart, in other words, the mind, the thoughts, will trigger words out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. So thoughts trigger words, and our words trigger actions or behavior, which in times of trial reveals character, what is hidden on the inside. But it all springs forth from what we actually believe, what is in the heart. Out of the abundance of the heart, things will come to the surface in a desperate crisis. Hence, if a person believes that God is an angry, vengeful, or vindictive being who tortures his enemies, that same person may look like a saint now. But when he or she finds himself or herself in a terrible crisis, it will come out. And they will do the very same thing if that is seen as the way out of their predicament. And so the public burning of Christians to the stake and the mass drowning and beheading, chopping off the heads of millions of martyrs, which history shows has been committed by the Catholic Church from the 6th century to the late 18th century and beyond, all of this was in reality proof of the fact that people can only act out their picture of God, how they believe God deals with his enemies. And by the way, this is in no way suggesting that those who reject grace will not reap destruction. They will. But God's role in all of this needs to be properly understood, which will be clearly seen as we work our way through this series. Because the God that I know and serve doesn't behave in the same way that the devil does. He is the God who says, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you and despitefully use you and pray for them also. But this law of the mind works both ways. If you see God as a being who is kind and merciful, forgiving, loving even his enemies, though he hates their doings, hating the sin, yet loving the sinner, and doing everything to try to turn them from their wicked ways and to save them into his everlasting kingdom. If you see God as a God who is light and in whom there is no darkness at all, you will manifest the same attributes of character even when your life is on the line. In Acts chapter 7, we see the deacon Stephen pray that God would forgive the very ones who were stoning him to death. In Romans chapter 9, the Apostle Paul says he would gladly lose his soul if it would cause the very Jews who were always hunting him to kill him, if it would cause them to accept the gospel of Jesus Christ and be saved. These are demonstrations of selfless love, a love that goes even to the point of not wanting anyone to lose out on the precious gift of eternal life, even our enemies. This, dear friends, is the love of God, which supernaturally becomes the love burning in the heart of those who place themselves fully under his control and yield themselves to be instruments in his hand. And so armed with the true knowledge of God, they are driven by the same love which caused Jesus to cry out on the cross, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He was praying for the very ones who had him crucified. Now, has God given us a way whereby we can be purged of all misconceptions regarding his character? Yes. Jesus himself said in John 8 and verse 32, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. 
It is the truth concerning God that will deliver us from the bondage of fear, dear friends, which gives us confidence and courage under severe trials and instills that same character within us. Lies can only set us up for failure and will cause us to take the easy way out and side with the enemy out of fear. The enemy always uses fear to cause millions of people to come on board his ship. In the past, millions have denounced Christ and abandoned their faith in him in order to escape hardship. But all who do this will come to see that what they thought was the easy way out was actually the hardest possible way and leads to their eternal loss. Jesus also said, And you shall be hated of all men for my name's sake. But he who endures to the end shall be saved. Matthew chapter 10 verse 22. To endure to the end, dear friends, means we will need to learn to trust God through all things, even through that which is to come upon the world. To endure to the end will require a faith that will trust God to the end. Eternal life is involved here, dear friends. But how can anyone trust someone they do not really know? Think about it. Can you trust someone that you don't really know? What if you have certain misgivings about their character, certain doubts? Even if you think they're a good person, but there are still a few shady areas or areas of suspicion that you have concerning them, you will never trust them all the way, even unto death, if it calls for that. You will give up on them because you have doubts concerning who they really are. But to endure to the end, as Jesus says here in Matthew 10.22, requires implicit trust. And to trust implicitly in God means to truly know the true character of the one you will be trusting in. And eternal life, dear friends, is tied up in this matter. Hence, Jesus says in John 17 and verse 3, And this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. And through the prophet Jeremiah, he says, in Jeremiah chapter 9, verses 23 and 24, it says, Thus says the Lord, Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, in other words, boast in his wisdom, neither let the mighty man glory in his might, let not the rich man glory in his riches, but let him that glories glory in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who exercises loving kindness and justice and righteousness in all the earth. For in these things I delight, says the Lord. God says, this is what I delight in, loving kindness and fairness and righteousness, goodness. Dear listeners, sin came into the human experience when the devil, disguised as a serpent, tempted Adam and Eve, darkening their minds with lies concerning the character of God. Lies which they believed, causing them to distrust God and enter into rebellion against Him, into sin. Many of these lies, which misrepresent the truth about God, are still preached from the pulpits of churches today. But what did Jesus say? He said, I am the truth. And He also says, And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. It is only by replacing the lies with truth. By implanting the truth about God back into the mind and heart will rebellion be ended in each heart, personally. 
Because rebellion began when the lies were believed. Only when the truth is believed will it come to an end in the personal experience of any individual. Because the knowledge of his perfect love will cast out all fear. Then and only then, dear listener, will we be able to heed the words of Solomon in Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, which says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not unto your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths. As we explore this new topic in this new series, dear friends, my prayer is that God will fill your hearts with knowledge and understanding of this most glorious truth of his character, which is the best news in the universe. We will take this further in part two. But for now, have a great week and may God's presence be with you all and give you peace. Mm -hmm.